We are, if you were here, you know, we're starting a new series today uh, titled, as you see, Engage, but Engage 2.0, uh, because if you were here last year at this time, uh, you might remember we spent eight weeks um, on our first Engage series. At that time, I didn't know it was going to be our first Engage series. That's just the way uh, it turned out, and it seems that God is leading. So uh, this is the second series on the same theme, so real clever, Engage 2.0. Um, if I were to give you a subtitle for this, uh, it would be Connecting with People the Way Jesus Did, or with the way He Challenges Us to Do. Because the passage that they just read for you, and now the part they skipped in the middle, well, in one quarter of that, um, I'm going to, we're going to look at it together, we're going to read, we're going to tie it into all of it together here. And in and, and part of it, Jesus, he is engaging people, you know, as we go through there. Last year, we looked at seven times that Jesus engaged people uh, to see what we could learn to help us as we think about engaging people the way Jesus did. Now, one sermon took two weeks. I know that's a shock to you that I couldn't finish one in one week. Uh, And so that's why we ended up with eight weeks. We have no better example than Jesus. When you have have an example that you want to follow, uh, you know, you have none better than Jesus. Somebody told me one time... um, you know that they they look to me for an example for something, and I encourage them. I said, you know, look look higher now. You know, Paul, we are examples to others, and we need to realize that whether you like it or not. Uh, Paul even said, "Follow me as I follow Christ." So there is that that um, call for us to be an example. Uh, but there is no better example than Christ Himself. So when we're looking, when we're thinking, when we're doing, you know, to do as He did would be a good thing. There is no better teacher than Jesus. So when we look at what he calls us to do and really how he calls us to do those things, I think, you know, it's best for us to pay attention. Now, this year we're looking at how Jesus engaged people as well as some of what he talks about as far as engaging people. I think those two overlap in the passage we're going to look at today. Uh, There's a lot of definitions for uh, the word engage. If you Googled it, if you don't know what Google is, it's okay that, you know, just ask somebody else. Uh, But if you Googled it, this is the definition that pops up. Uh, it says it's a verb, meaning occupy, attract, or involve uh, someone's interest or attention, or uh, also to participate or become involved in. Now, I would say yes to both of these definitions in regard to what we'll be looking at, you know, because we'll be looking at you know, the whole call there to occupy, attract, involve, if you will, someone's attention. Now, um, let me give you a working definition of engage as I am using it in this series uh, so that you'll know. I also feel, you know, I'm using it as as a verb uh, there. And it's intentional, purposeful decisions, choices, and actions meant to help us connect with other people to help them come to know Jesus. Now, you may f- define it a little differently, and that's okay. Now you understand how I'm using it when we look at this series. You know, it is intentional. It is something that we, that we intend to do. It's not something that we trip across. It is intentional. It is purposeful decisions that we are, that we are as we're being intentional, we are doing these decisions, you know, with purpose, uh, with purpose in mind. They are choices and actions that we make. You know, it is a verb. They're choices and actions that, that, that 
where we are involved, where we are doing something, and that something is that we're connecting with other people. Now, as we're connecting with them, I hope that one of the things there that comes with it, I'm not just trying to help you make friends here. Now, while that's a, a nice and a handy thing to do, uh, the, the, you know, the intention here is that you will help them to come to know Jesus. Now, what I would say, really, I suppose, if I were to change this a little bit, uh, it would be that they come closer to Jesus. You see, there would be the goal that they come closer to Jesus, that they're... they're um, from wherever they are, that you can help them move a bit closer to Jesus. They may not come to that place where they, you know, where they give their life to him, but they should draw closer to him because of our interaction with them. Let's pray. We're going to look at a passage, the other part of that passage in Mark 4, and see what we, what we can get. Father, thank you again for your word and your grace. Uh, thank you for the way in which you still use your word today. It's not something that, that's old and that's, that's uh, um, well, it shouldn't be forgotten by us, in particular your people. While there's a lot of people in the world who don't know it, we're here because we do. We are, we are drawn to you to some degree, to some fashion. Uh, we are drawn to you, and so we have gathered together because we want to learn from you this morning. So I pray that you would teach us from your word, that your spirit would minister in ways that, that I didn't even imagine as, as I was praying about this message, in ways that you direct, because you know what's going on in these lives so much better than I do. Some of them I have no clue what's going on in their lives, but you do. So I pray that you would touch them, that you would transform, continue that transformation process in all of us, helping us to be more and more like you, more and more um, infused with you, directed by you, reflecting your glory and your honor and your praise. It's, a, it's an odd thing that we get to do that, but you've told us that in your word. So now, make it real, we pray. Open our hearts to you, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Now I'm going to be in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 is where they read from, so if you still have your Bible open, you're good. I'm going to read verses 21 through 29. They skipped over that part as they were going through it. Uh, I'd encourage you to open your Bible and look at it because what I'm going to do as as I go through this, well, when I was when I was studying, I looked and I you know I saw this this passage that I'm looking that we're going to be looking at here, and I asked myself, I said, you know, okay, so why did God have why did why did God have Mark record these interactions in the order we have them today? And you know that was that was my, how my prayer was focused. Lord, why is it? Why why did you have these recorded in this way? I don't think Scripture is willy nilly put together. I don't think that it's you know they found these scraps of paper, stacked them all up, and that happened to be the way they are. I believe that Scripture says that God directed those authors, God directed those people who were who were putting the bible together who were writing it he used their personalities he used their their mindsets and he guided them to have the word have the bible put together just exactly how he wanted it so i don't think that it's coincidence i don't believe in coincidence uh, coincidence is when god does a miracle and remains anonymous that is a coincidence i, I don't think it's i don't think it's by chance that this chapter is in the order it's in. I think it's by the direct hand of God as, as he was working and guiding uh, Mark as he pulled this together. Now, look at the very first uh, verse of the chapter. 
It says, again, he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into the boat on the sea, sat down while the whole crowd was on the shore facing the sea. And he taught them many things in parables. Now drop down and look at verse 10. In verse 10, we learn that Jesus did some of the teaching in this chapter that's recorded while he was alone with his 12 closest disciples. There was a larger group of disciples, more than just the 12. You see that in many places in scripture. There was, there, so in this large group of disciples, there was this, this tighter group, if you will, of 12 whom Jesus invested more time in, poured more of himself into, were exposed to more of what he was doing, a part of which was certainly the design of God, part of which was the design of those others who tended to other things, you know, as they went along. But here he has those 12 closest ones, and it says there, you know, verse 10, and it, it tells us then that he explained the parables to them while they were alone with him. Now look down at verse 35 and 36. In verse 35, it says, On that day when the evening had come, he told them, Let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was already in the boat. So it seems as we're going through this chapter that what we have is Mark recorded it, as God directed Mark to record it, you have a little bit of a back and forth. He is teaching a larger group of disciples as well as a crowd that is gathered on the shoreline there. And then it gives us a little insight into how he taught those 12 when, when he was alone and they were asking him questions. And then it seems that we are back again to where the, the larger crowd is there you know because he then departs because he was already in the boat as we see in the in the first verse there so it, it seems if you're looking at this that the parables were probably spoken as jesus interacted with the larger group and as he's teaching them that he's interacting with the crowd and the chapter moves back and forth between engaging the crowd and engaging his closer disciples but the majority of the, of the chapter seems focused on engaging others through the use of parables as he conveys to them what he wanted them to learn, as he conveys a challenge to them and to us of what he wants. Now, today we're going to mainly focus on verses 21 through 29 and how, how we see that that section of verses relate to the overall chapter, tying this whole thing together. Follow along. Verse 21 it says, He also said to them, a lamp is brought in to be put, uh, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For nothing is concealed except to be revealed, and nothing is hidden except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, he should listen. Then he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured and added to you. For to the one who has, it will be given, and from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Verse 26, The kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, and then the ripe grain on the head. But as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. 
So in the midst of this teaching on sowing and reaping, which is what precedes and in what follows those verses, Jesus shifts the thinking a little bit to, to draw our attention to the use and the purpose of light. And when I first read that, I thought, this just seems like kind of a radical shift here. You know, Lord, why, why, why is it? And then as you look at this, now there's a few thoughts on light that I, I want to show uh, that I think will help help us see how this connects to the larger part of the chapter. Now, uh, the, the, the first thought, you know, it comes from, you know, my tendency to be kept in obvious sometimes. Uh, light is made to be seen and to help people see. You see, we overlook that. Light is made to be seen and to help, and to help people see. Now, I'm, stating, I'm only stating the obvious, but here's, here's our challenge for us. Um, we, we, we too often seem to have a disconnect with the obvious, and it's not an obvious part of our life as it should be. Now think about this for just a moment now. You know, at night you turn your lights on as you drive in your car. Now that serves two purposes. As you turn your lights on, it's so others can, others can see you and know where you are and don't crash into you. And it's also so you can see where you're going. If you've ever been on the road at night, uh, you know, and a car comes towards you and it doesn't have your lights on, you notice it. It's like, whoa, whoa. You know, I mean, you know, it's almost like at last minute, it's too late. And it's like, you know, we turn our headlights on, you know, so that we can be seen and so that we can see. You turn lights on at home so that when you're walking through the living room and the, and the footstool is just a little bit off from the, from the chair, you don't kick it and, and really hurt your toes. And that one's purple. You know, but you see, we do that so that we can see, so that we can see better. This week, there were two, uh, uh, Tuesday and Friday, there were fog delays. And one of the things I noticed uh, on Tuesday morning, I met with the guys for, for Bible study. And it was very interesting because as I drove in, in, you know, to the city limits, as we're coming, it was all, I hit Dana and whew, the fog was gone. I went home and, you know, got past Dana and whew, the fog, you know, it was, it was, it was still there. And then on Friday, well, it was just flat out foggy. I mean, that's all there was to it. But one of the things I noticed, and you've seen this too, when the school buses, are going, uh, you know, in, in the fog and stuff. They have these little white lights on top of the school bus that flash a strobe effect. I mean, it's not, you know, it's so that you notice that the bus is there so they can be more easily seen. Light is made to be seen and to help people see. And this is what, how he begins to illustrate for us what he's, what he's saying here. Now, here's the connection for us in engaging others. Light is most helpful in dark times or when your vision is obscured. That's why you turn your headlights on at night because it's dark. That's why you turn the lights on when it's dark in the house. Because when light's not there, you know, during those dark times is when light is most important. It's when our vision is obscured that we need to have more light. You see, when people are facing dark times in their life, they are most often consumed by that darkness. 
They're consumed by what they're going through. I talked to my sister this week, and she's, you know, been going back and forth with the, with the treatments. You know, they're, they're done with that chemo. I mean, really great results, it seems, at this point uh, is what they're expecting from the radiation treatments. But uh, she was talking to me and just telling me how down she was before, you know, trying, even trying to get ready for these. She had a couple days where they were um, mapping out the tumors, and it turned into a couple of days. It was only supposed to be one day of a couple hours. And after four hours, um, they had to stop because she was in so much pain. Uh, they put her in the position that she'll be in for the radiation. And it happened to be with laying flat on her back with her arms over her head holding on to this bar. She said, I couldn't even feel my fingers. She said, I was in so much pain. Her, it was affecting her breathing. And they couldn't map these out because her breathing was erratic and stuff. And so they sent her home and went in the next day and, uh, uh, you know, to try to finish this mapping out. Well, she was telling me just how down she was about this stuff. And she said, and then I read, <laughs> she said, I read a passage in the Bible. She said, can I read it to you? I said, Sure. And she read me this passage. I said, Mary, I'm, I said, I'm sitting here studying this passage. And she said to me, you really need light in dark times. You see, we forget that. We forget that. And when we run across people that are facing dark times in their life, they are consumed by that darkness, and we forget about that. When their vision, you know, of what's ahead is obscured by the cares of this world, all they see are the cares of this life. When I was driving in the, through the fog, <laughs> you guys did this too, I'm sure, you know, and I'm driving. Now, do you notice this is what you do? <laughs> like getting closer to the windshield is going to help me see better, you know, it is... You see, but our, our vision is obscured. And what we want is we want to see better. We're, we're, we're consumed by, by whatever it is that's obscuring our vision, by whatever's going on in our life, by the cares of this life. Look at verses 18 and 19 there in, in that chapter. Jesus explains to his disciples about the parable of the sower. Notice what he says in verse 18. Others are sown among thorns. They're the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the seduction of wealth, desires for other things, all these things come in and cloud their vision and enter in and choke out the word of God and it becomes unfruitful. Why? Because they're consumed by the cares of this life. Do you ever run across anyone who isn't consumed by the cares of this world? When we see people in darkness... When we see people overwhelmed by the cares of this world, that is when God is giving you the opportunity to engage them with the light. He is giving you that opportunity to come in and to share with them about the light, not simply to overcome the problem, but to introduce them to the light of the world, to introduce them to Jesus, to tell them about him. 
Now, how do, how, how do we do this? Again, look at the larger context of what he's saying here. Look up at verses 14 and 15. As Jesus is explaining the parable of the soils and the sower, notice what he says in verse 14 there. He says, so the sower sows the word. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. You see, you are, are bringing, you are, the light you're bringing in there is the sowing of the seeds of the Word of God as you try to engage those people in darkness and those consumed with the things distracting them from Jesus because the Bible speaks to the issues of today. The Bible is not an old ancient text that's irrelevant. It speaks to the issues of today. And, and what you get to do is you get to help people make that connection with, between what's going on in their life and what we see here in the Word of God. You have that opportunity to engage them and to help them see how God's Word helps guide our living, how guide, God's Word helps us deal with our problems, how it helps us, connects us to God. You see, part of what it means for us here is that we need to be reading and using the Word of God to guide our own lives as well. And you see, when we are reading the Word of God and we are making those connections, the Word of God to our own life, then it is so much easier, you know, to talk to someone and to tell them, you know, this is, this is how the Word of God has helped me. Have you ever run across anybody that faces some of the same challenges you do? Here we go again. I don't think that's coincidence. I think it is God giving you the opportunity to connect with someone. I think it is God giving you the opportunity to engage someone and help them to see you know, who he is and help them to move closer, help them to move closer to, you know, to God and their living. The more, the more that you are actually guided by the word of God in your living, you see, the more prepared you will be to help others embrace the word of God and to embrace God himself in their living. The more is it a part, it's a part of your life, the, the, the better prepared you're going to be to help them apply it to their lives. You know, to help them see that the Word of God has touched someone's life, has changed someone's life. And then the question almost goes in their head, do you think he'd do that for me? I've been asked that question before. Do you think God would do that? For it says right here, he will. It says he will. The context here is sowing and seeing the results. And it talks about varying degrees. You know that there's, there's different degrees of return here. As I was reading this, I was just challenged that the reason, the reason some of my friends and family aren't coming, aren't, aren't coming to know Jesus because sometimes I'm covering the light. I'm not letting them see. I'm not letting them see how Jesus has touched my life. I'm not letting them see, you know, that, that God has, has worked, you know, in me. What happens is we're not helping them see Jesus in and through us. We're not sowing the word of God into their life. 
what did Jesus say at the beginning of what we started reading here? You don't light a light to put it under a bushel, to put it under a bed. He says you put it on a lampstand. You put it in a place where it's going to do the most good for the most people. And this is what he does with us. Verses 23 and 24, uh, they hit on a reality we need to remember. If anyone has ears to hear, he should listen. Then he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured and added to you. You see, hearing the word of God means that, that, we, that we work to understand it and obey it. This is the way James puts it. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. I, I, you know, I, I like to read this to myself. Be, hearers of, be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourself. Because if you think that just being a hearer is enough, he says it's not. Because, he says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his own, his own face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but one who does good works. This person will be blessed in what he does. You see, the reality is that we must work to understand and obey God's word. Not just to know it, but to make it a part of our life. It means that God's word makes a difference in how I live. That others can, you know, others can see that because I do not hide that. I do not hide my relationship with God. That there's not a place where I'm embarrassed to talk about God and what he's done in my life. Yes, there are places where it's awkward. Awkward because we don't want people looking at us like, you know, what kind of fool are you? Because sometimes we don't want them laughing at us and scoffing at us. And so what we end up doing then is not telling them about what God has done. What we do in that instance is we're saying, I'm embarrassed, so you go to hell. Isn't that what we're saying? I'm not going to tell you about Jesus so you continue on your way to hell because I'm going to be embarrassed. You say, well, when you say it that way, Pastor, um, I don't, I'm just telling you how I see it, how I understand that. If I'm not willing to tell someone about Jesus, I am saying that I am willing for them to go to hell. That should not be our response. You know, it should not be our outlook and our attitude. You know, it's, it, it needs to be obvious in my choices, in my priorities, in my conversation, in my living. And here's what we need to realize. I can't give out unless I take in. I can't give out unless I take in. 
that's all there is to it. You know, if I don't have it in me, I can't, I can't put it out. It pulls us back in again. You know, it, it's, it, now, here's the thing, you know, hearing, it takes a very prominent role in this chapter. Here in verse 23 and 24, also look at, you know, also look at verse 2. Verse 2, it says, He taught them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen! And then he tells them a parable of the sower. He ends with verse 9. And verse 9 says, Then he said, Anyone who has ears to hear should listen. And then he explains the parable to his closest disciples. And look what he says in verse 15 and 16. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes the word sown in them. These are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word. Immediately they receive it with joy. Look at verse 18. Others are sown among thorns. And, and these are the ones who, when they hear the word. The explanation ends in verse 20. It says, but the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, welcome it, produce a crop 30, 60, 100 times what is sown. And verse 23, 24, couldn't get any clearer. If anyone has ears to hear, he should listen. Then he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. If we think we're going to, in order to effectively engage people, we need to change the way we hear. We have to change the way we hear. Change the way you hear God's word. It is to affect our living. We're not there to straighten everybody else out. All we're trying to do is help another beggar know where to find bread. That's all we're trying to do. We're trying to you know, help them and see how it affects our living. It's not simply to enlighten our minds. It's to change our living. It's for action on our part. God's word is for action on our part, not just for our knowledge. And we, so we need to change the way we hear God's word. But we also need to change the way we hear those around us. Sometimes what we're doing is we're answering questions that we thought they should be asking instead of the questions they're actually asking. You see, we need to listen to what they're saying and talk to them about what they're really wondering about. We need to carefully listen to God so we know how to live. And we need to carefully listen to others so we can help them connect with God and connect God's word to their living. You know, so that God can bring light into their darkness. So that God can bring clarity to them when they are caught in the fog of this world. We want God to enlighten them. Not just, you know... Not, not, not what we say, but what God says. Verse 24, then he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured and added to you. Pay attention. Let it make a difference in your life, he says. You know, to the one who has it more, you know, it will be given from the one who doesn't have. Even what he has will be taken away. He said, when you, when you listen to and apply the word of God to your living, you're going to remember it. You're going to remember it. When you, when you listen and you apply the word of God to your living, you're going to remember it. Your life will shine for others to see. You'll be able to bring that light into the darkness of those who are connecting with God. Now, the other part of that verse is, if you don't begin to live with it, if you don't begin to make it an active part of your life, you're going to forget it. 
it's, it's going to fall out of your head. You're just going to forget all about it. Now, we didn't say much about verses 26 to 29 yet. And he says, the kingdom of God is like this. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps, he rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the ripe head on the grain. But as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. Yesterday, um, I, I cut, I've been cutting my grass about once a month because it doesn't grow real well. It's like, for pity's sake, you know, this, this lawn guy told me, you know, start mowing your grass at four inches. Dude, I can't get it to grow to four inches. I, I, that's what I'm trying to do here, buddy. I'm trying to get this grass growing. I am trying to get it green. Mow it at four inches. I have to stretch it out to four inches so I can mow it. So, I had the yard aerated and overseeded. That means they come along with this machine and they poke a bunch of holes in it and it pops it out and it looks like, it looks like you had a goose convention on your lawn. If you've ever had your lawn aerated, you know that. And so they overseeded it. So Jenny and I were talking and I said, yeah, I, I, I really kind of feel like I need to mow the grass because there's some high weeds there. And, you know, I'm looking like the neighborhood schmo. And, you know, I want to be a good neighbor, so I'm going to have to mow that. I said, but do you see any new, any new grass growing? So we both walk outside. She says, I don't really see any. I don't either. We bend over and we're looking at this stuff. Oh, here's some, she said. In the bottom of this hole that they poked, the grass is starting to grow up in the bottom of these holes that they poked. You know, it, 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 it grows. We don't, you know, we, we don't know how. We don't know. What. I, you know, I didn't do much. You say, that's why it's not growing. All I can do is water this stuff. I can't, I can't make this stuff grow. See, when we sow those seeds of God's word, it will accomplish his purpose. It will accomplish his purpose. Now, we may not be the ones to harvest the results, but here's the deal. It's not our harvest. It's not our harvest. It's God's harvest. He's the one. He's the one who, you know, he's the one who's, who's, it belongs to. It's his harvest. He's the one who calls people. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Paul is talking, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. You see, it's God's harvest. He says, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now, the one planting, the one watering are one in purpose, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are God's co-workers. We're God's co-workers, the one who's called us to be the light, the one who's called us to spread the seed. We are his co-workers. It is his harvest. The results belong to God. The obedience is our challenge. The results belong with him. We don't know how or when he will apply what we're able to put into the lives of others as we engage them. 
We don't know if we will see the results. We don't know if we will be the ones. You know, we don't know where we fit in this process of touching lives, but we are called to engage them with the truth about Jesus, to tell them about Jesus. We do know that we can trust God, and we do know we can trust him as he works out his plan. If anyone has ears to hear, he should listen. Then he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. Change how you listen. Change how you listen to God. Change how you listen to others. Engage those that God brings across your path. Bring light into the darkness clarity into the confusion help them come closer to jesus let's pray